Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me read for you from chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 9. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now, you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants, working together. You are God's field, God's building. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, how old are you? Um, and maybe the next question is maybe more important. Do you act your age? Um, what does it mean even to act our age, right? And yet this is really the question that Paul is asking with a spiritual twist. In our text, I think we see this clearly. In verses 1 to 4, Paul calls the Corinthians infants. They have not matured to the point of receiving solid food. That is, the spiritual truths that Paul would love to tell them. They need milk to drink and are not grown-ups requiring solid food. The evidence for this lack of spiritual maturity is that there are jealousies and strife among them, and these jealousies and strife result in divisions. And it's this jealousy and strife and divisions that is a demonstration of the fact that they are still infants. The result, the resulting divisions, come really from following this leader or that, it seems like, to the exclusion of the others. And so Paul says that they demonstrate that they are infants and not grown-ups, needing milk rather than solid food. So, however, Paul does not accept these divisions, that these are the way the church should function. After all, who is Apollos? Who's Paul? One plants, Paul plants, one waters, Apollos waters, but it's God who gives the increase. It's God who brings the growth. It's, God, it's really all about God. It's not about the leaders. The fruit that will come from their labor is God's doing and not theirs. So his command or suggestion or plead with them is do not divide the church by what leader you are following and expect others to do the same and be on, quote, your side. All the leaders are working together to serve God, and by serving the people to whom God sends them. It is God's work, and God causes the growth. 
Paul will go on in this letter to speak of the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, everybody has a function. Everybody has part of uh, the, takes part in the grand vision of God for the world, uh, which will finally and fully be acknowledged uh, that Jesus is Lord and Lord of Lords. And as the body of Christ, everybody in the congregation then will have their part to play. In fact, verses 5 to 9 argue that not only are he and Apollos servants of God, they are co-workers with God. And in the body of Christ, as you follow the discussion of Corinthians, in the body of Christ, all are co-workers with God. All are, um, a function, uh, have a function and have a ministry, a service that they are called to so that the body might function well. And so the challenge really before the Corinthians is to move from being babes in Christ where strife and division exist and divisions are the result uh, to being co-workers with God, partners in God's grand transforming work in the world through Christ. So coming back to us, what about us? What do you think of yourself? Do you see yourself as a co-worker with God? in God's grand design for the world. Now in this sermon series, we have been called Holy Curiosity, we have been conversing with our mission partners. But do our mission partners have a ministry and we don't have a ministry? Do they have a service or a function to play in God's grand design and we don't? No, we all do. They do and we do. Um, the point of talking uh, with our mission partners is not to put them on a pedestal as though somehow they are more special in God's grand work in the world today than you or I. No, it's to remind all of us that we are all ministers, servants of Christ, co-workers with God for the sake of the gospel. So this morning, we're going to talk with Doug Hewitt, co-founder of 1951 Coffee Company, one of our mission partners. Doug will share with us what it means for him to be a co-worker with God in the ministry of Christ. Doug worked at IRC, the International Rescue Committee in Oakland, for a number of years before sensing God's call to, to jump out on this new venture uh, with Rachel uh, Tabor as they formed 1951 Coffee. The purpose is to train refugees to be able to have a marketable skill so that they will be able to go out then and earn a living as they transition here to America. And Doug trains these refugees in an environment that welcomes the alien, the stranger, uh, the marginalized sometimes into relationship and into life uh, here with us. So listen uh, for these moments now. Uh, to our conversation with Doug Hewitt. Friends, throughout the months of January and February here at First Pres, we are doing a sermon series entitled Holy Curiosity, Conversations with the Divine. And in that, we've been encouraging folks just to be open to the Spirit's leading, uh, finding God's voice, hearing God's voice, attending to God's presence in surprising and new and unexpected ways. 
And one of the most rich ways of hearing God's voice within community is with those who we get to be in partnership with. So specifically our mission partners. Over the past few weeks, we have traveled as close as Oakland and as far as the Democratic Republic of Congo. And today we go right down kind of near our front door-ish, um, truly a neighbor, maybe even closer than a neighbor to our dear friends at 1951 Coffee Company. So Doug, thank you so much for being with us today. It is such a pleasure to be with you and hear from you. Um, and for those in our congregation who aren't as familiar with your story and the story of 1951, if you wouldn't mind just illuminating us. Hi, sure. Well, thank you so much uh, for letting me be here with you all. So um, I'll, I'll keep it brief because it's a it's a long story. But um, you know, I starting 1951 Coffee um, kind of came out of an experience that I had. I'd worked in the coffee industry uh, before um, working in refugee resettlement. Actually, my first job in coffee I was working at a cafe, um, and a person who was hired to work around the same time that I was. Um, ended up finding out that he was a refugee from Eritrea. One day over lunch, uh, he shared with me his story of coming to the United States, and it really just changed my perspective on, on everything, on, on, on the world, on what people are going through in the world, on you know, what experience it's like for people coming to the United States, um, and then even on you know, God's calling in my life and what he wanted me to do. Um, and so I, um, not too long after that, began working at a refugee resettlement agency. And I thought that's really where, um, you know, I was going to find my place to, to, to work and have a, an impact with the refugee community. And um, during that time, I, I began to realize that the system that we have set up here in the United States to welcome and resettle refugees, um, it, it really gets by with doing the bare, bare minimum of being able to provide people with a place where they can survive, um, but it really struggles to provide them with a place where they can thrive and genuinely start a, a new life here in the U.S. Um, multiple experiences of, of people talking about how, you know, being resettled here in the United States sometimes was the most difficult time in their entire lives, having fled war zones, having spent years and years living in refugee camps, and yet resettling here was the, the most difficult time. Um, and so I realized in working at a refugee resettlement agency for a while, helping people find employment, helping people find um, jobs and just working in housing and a lot of that stuff here in the Bay Area, that there needed to be something that kind of bridged the gap between what refugee resettlement agencies can do and are funded to do, um, mostly by the, the U.S. government's resettlement programs, um, and then what, what refugees, refugees need. And so... Um, you know, in 2015, uh, the other co-founder, Rachel Tabor, and I both working at the International Rescue Committee, um, decided we were ready to try to do something different, um, to work in partnership both with the refugee community, to work with um, the refugee resettlement agencies, but then to begin to leverage the, the power of the coffee industry uh, here in the United States to be able to be a, a welcoming front porch, if you will. Uh, for the refugee community. And so, um, you know, I, having worked in coffee before, I never envisioned that I would come back to it. Um, I knew that I would, I would be working with refugees, um, but I never envisioned that I would be able to pull those two things together and find a way to um, help people get a fresh start here with, you know, working in coffee, so. Okay, by the way, um, I'm just gonna have a little uh, cup of coffee here. Uh, you can, I know where you can buy these. <laughs> Um, so how would you then put your, uh, work life in the context of 
the mission of God in the world today um, or uh, your own background in terms of uh, your faith? How do you see your work with 1951 as an outgrowth of that? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, um, I think that's a good question. I, For me, I grew up in a, a small town in East Tennessee, a very uh, monocultural setting. Um, pretty much everybody there was like me, and that's all I was exposed to for much of uh, my years growing up. Um, but when I, I got into college, um, there was a gradual process of, of God opening me up to things that he had been shaping me for, uh, even growing up in Tennessee, I was the, the weird kid that played soccer instead of basketball or baseball or American football or, or whatever. Like, why did I choose soccer? I have no idea other than I just really enjoyed it growing up. I was also that kid that when I was in high school, I took French class because we had to take a foreign language. And then I'm like, that was really fun. I should take Spanish too. So I took Spanish class just because I could. You know? And I mean, there was no reason to use either one uh, in a small town in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. Like th there was just no purpose for it other than, again, I just really enjoyed it. And I'm like, okay, this is just what I'm going to do. Um, but as I, I got into college and that was really kind of the, I'd grown up in church, but that was really when God kind of took a hold of me and started showing me that he'd been shaping me um, to, to live and work internationally. And, and in my head at that time, I thought, okay, that means outside the United States doing all this stuff. I, I spent a lot of time in college working in, in Europe, uh, took a semester off and uh, was in West Africa for a while. And then when I finished college, I actually spent two years uh, in China uh, working there as an English teacher and doing ministry there. And so I, I really just in my mind, that's what I was going to do um, until that time when my friend began to tell me about refugees and the process they go through to come here to, to the United States. And then suddenly God just kind of like spun that all around um, and really just changed the way that I was looking at doing his work in a global context without even leaving, you know, where, where I am. Um, and so so yeah, I think that's that's kind of how it began to really connect for me is again, I, I thought there was this this global mandate that I saw that, that came from scripture. Um, and yet I, I assumed that meant I had to leave. I had to go here. I had to go there. When I was in college, I always hated being here in the U.S. And I'm like, I, I got to wait till the summer so I can go here. I go there. But then, you know, God really took that and kind of turned it around and, and showed me that, that I have a place here to still accomplish a lot of the same things. So do you have a particular... Bible verse, Bible section that has helped you kind of narrow in on how you feel called by God? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, for me, 2 Corinthians 5, um, where Paul is talking about us being ambassadors for Christ um, and having that ministry of reconciliation, of God reconciling us to himself, reconciling the world to himself. Um, and it we are Christ ambassadors. And I think, you know, I think doing work internationally, that term ambassador, like really, really stands out. It's like, oh yeah, it's like you're in an embassy or you're going to a foreign country, you're doing these different things. And I think the, the more I began to actually live and work internationally, I also began to realize that an embassy performs and an ambassador performs many more functions. It doesn't just provide the function of, you know, reaching out to people in that foreign country, but also to people who are a part of that country, but living outside of it. And so I began to, to really see that, that that kind of had a dual meaning for me. One, yes, I am reaching out to people of all kinds of all backgrounds, you know, out in the world. But then also, as I began to work with refugees, just like my first friend who, who told me about his journey, he, he was a Christian. 
And as I began to realize mm -hmm. so many refugees who are coming here to the U.S. are also Christians. And a lot of the way that people frame ministry is like, well, okay, they're Christians, so we'll kind of help and we'll do stuff. But really, we need to be working on people who, who are not Christians. That's, that's where our work really is. And I, I began to realize that it had to be a both and and not an either or and began to realize that as an ambassador for Christ, it, yes, we are always reaching out to people who are, who are, you know, outside of the, the kingdom of God, so to say, but at the same time, we're also still ministering and loving on those who are inside of it and saw that working in with the refugee community, there was, there was opportunity to do both. So in, in the community or, or in the work that you're doing, have you seen then lots of refugees of both Christian, non-Christian, some faith, other faith, no faith? Have you seen it all? Or is there a particular pattern with the refugees that you have encountered? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I definitely think, you know, here in, in the Bay Area, we have a lot of people who are coming from South Central America um, who are coming here to apply for asylum. And, and very many of them have uh, evangelical or, or Catholic backgrounds, um, who many would be our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, also from Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, a lot of the refugees coming from there, whether they come from the DRC or Eritrea or other places, um, are a very similar Orthodox background or evangelical background. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but then at the same time, we have refugees coming in from, from all over the world, all, all different kinds of refugees here to the Bay Area. Um, we have worked with people from almost 35 different countries. <laughs> so you can imagine mm -hmm. the, the number of, of religious backgrounds that, that people have. And so, yes, I mean, we definitely have people from, from all over. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So one of the things that it seems like Paul is arguing for in both letters um, of, uh, to, to the Corinthians is that we are all ambassadors, that we all right. have a ministry, that we all right. are partners with God in God's big vision work. Right. Do you see yourself as a missionary or... Um, do you see yourself different, differently than, say, a, a congregant would see themselves in, in, our, in our church or in any church? In other words, should we put you on a pedestal because you're doing God's work in a more intentional way? Or do you see what you're doing as just the same as what somebody else is doing teaching school or the same as somebody else is doing being a lawyer or something? Yeah, I think it's a, a, a good question, because I think that people have a, a, a perception um, that doing God's work, so to say, is um, that is a, a sacred occupation. And then all of the others are, are secular occupations. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that as, as a Christian, I, I don't see that there's a dividing line in that way. Um, I think I would instead of seeing all of them as secular, I think I would see all of you know, any occupation is, is, a, is a sacred occupation, a thing that God has called you to, to have, to have influence in, in, in those areas. I see myself as, as a barista, as a cafe manager, as a, a refugee advocate, um, someone running a nonprofit organization. Um, but at the same time, I, I see myself as, as a minister of the gospel, but only because I am a Christian. 
Um, you know, is it, I'm not being, you know, vocationally paid to, to be a minister and have a title. No, um, that's, that's not, you know, what I, what I have or what I'm interested in. Um, but I definitely think that being able to, to express God's love through, um, through providing welcome, through providing support, through caring for people who are some of the most vulnerable people, um, in, in our world. Um, I think that that, definitely is a part of, of being a part of that ministry of, of reconciliation and working together with God on, uh, on that, um, being his, his hands and feet, so to say, um, to the world. Um, so, yeah, so I, I definitely would say it, it's not a title. It's not a, a maybe a, an occupation, but it is, it is a part of, of who I am as a Christian. So. Okay. Doug, I so appreciate how, when you tell your story, you talk about how God shaped you I mean, even when you were totally unaware of what the outcome of the path or the journey would be. And I, you know, I feel like we're living in a time where immediacy is the name of the game. We want things, right. we want them now. We pray to God and we want to hear God's voice now. And so, you know, this series is a lot about how do we heed God's voice? And sometimes right. that is with patience and waiting and looking back in time and seeing how God has been shaping us. Um, and so kind of to to, as we, you know, head into a conversation around um, today, around God using us as being partners with Christ, ambassadors of Christ, um, what encouragement do you have for our congregation, um, a people that so desire to hear God's voice and to be used by God and to be shaped by God um, to exactly like you said, to be in vocations that are neither, you know, secular or sacred, everything is sacred. So following God's voice in the way that you have. Uh, that's a good question. I, I also think I, I'm glad that you you bring up the the patience part because I definitely would not classify myself as a patient person. Like I don't think as I was growing up again, I think it was more like, I think the way I, I kind of quantify it is like, I was doing these things because, because I liked them and it was different, but I liked it. And it wasn't until at some point in college where God kind of like slapped me in the back of the head and was like, hey, did you realize like I had been doing these things to prepare you for something that, that you just you, you could not have imagined it. Like I had dreams growing up and they had nothing to do with French or Spanish or even playing soccer. I wanted to grow up and live in Colorado and ski on the mountains. All that, that was what my dream was going through high school. Right. Um, but getting into college and beginning to see that there were suddenly these things I was being exposed to and passions that I had that I could not have even dreamed to have had those passions. Um, I think that's something that, that kind of caught me, caught me off guard. And I, feel, I still think, you know, as, as I would talk to other people, you know, uh, about that is, you know, sometimes I, I think even as I began to be more interested in what God was calling me to, I began to, to I, I at times would also be impatient and kind of fret about like hearing exactly what I needed to do. And then I would be reminded that for the first 18 years of my life, God was directing me in what he wanted me to do. And I wasn't, I wasn't cognitively hearing anything. Right. I was just going. Um, and then I begin to think about, I think it's in Isaiah where he talks about, you know, hearing my voice, whether it's to the left or the right, you'll hear my voice saying, this is the way walk in it. And I think that that's, a, again, that's something else that I think about is like, God gave him an option to, to, to go left or right. And then he would like, then come along and be like, okay, now I'm going to join you in this. Here's the directions we're going in. And, and I think about that. And I think about how, you know, sometimes, you know, there'll be things that you feel inside. And you're like, I, I, I know I need to pursue this direction. 
And kind of along the way, certain things, confirmations will come, things will connect. Of course, God may jump in, intervene, put the stop sign in front of you and send you a different direction for sure. Um, But I think I always used to fret so much about taking a step until I had confirmation. Whereas realizing that, you know, my experience when I look back in the past shows that that God kind of tends to show you that he's, he's doing things that you're not seeing and he reveals those things along the way. Right. Well, it is, it's such an honor to be, um, to witness your faithfulness, your courage, um, your, what appears to me to be such patient obedience to God and to, I mean, one 1951 was one of the places that I went to first when Mm. I was even interviewing for this job. And I was overwhelmed by the spirit of welcome and inclusivity and just the way that you embody the values of the gospel. So, so thankful to be an honor to be partners with 1951. Well, thank you all so much. And I would say, I have lots more questions. (laughs) Uh, I guess I'll have to do those offline. Uh, I was here the day that you did the ribbon cutting uh, five years ago. And it's just been a joy to see the the ministry, the growth, the the work that you've done and so appreciate it. And we're so glad and consider it a privilege to have you as one of our mission partners. When Tom place. does get like three cups of coffee from 1951 a day, right? <laughs> oh, is that, is that he, he, he is well known at 1950. Yeah. Well, yeah, just, just supporting my mission. You know, exactly. Yeah, he's yeah, just yeah. doing his part. Doug. Just, doing, just doing, doing his part. There you go. That's, that's part of the idea. <laughs> well, thank okay, you for well, inspiring you, us. So, yep. Thank thanks, you all so uh, much. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. So that last part should have been deleted, but I guess it, I guess it wasn't. <laughs> now you know my secrets. <clears throat> so it's quite a journey that Doug has been on. Um, the preparation, the listening, the acting, the focusing, all of that, uh, a lot of it happening even before he knew that God was leading him in those directions. Listen to these words from... Uh, from Kathy Ross and Colin Smith. They say, Scripture is an ongoing conversation between God and humanity on how to live in this world, on how to reflect the nature of God's character and purposes, how to live in this world and embody God's love, compassion, and tenderness. So mission then becomes the ongoing participation in that unfolding, sometimes wildly unpredictable story of love and grace reflected in the light of the biblical narrative. So when you think about yourself, you hear about Doug and his own, uh, the way God had prepared him. What do you think about your own preparation for ministry? Are there ways that God has prepared you for service as a co-worker with God that you hadn't anticipated were part of the preparation process and now it's opening up doors uh, for ministry for you? Another way to say this is, do you know your place in God's grand design for the world? Uh, Do we all know and are we living out that 
uh, part of God's grand design. Some of you may already be doing that, and you are fully into it and enjoying all that that brings to you. Others may be waiting for the right opportunity. Is there a still small voice whispering to you in those silent moments, suggesting a deeper and a wider path of service? What has God prepared for you? And what is God doing? God is already working. And so the question to us is, will we participate in God's wildly unpredictable story of love and grace? The truth is that our spiritual age is determined by how we live, not so much by how long we have been following Christ. The challenge for us is to be united in purpose to follow Christ. The challenge is to be uh, not letting the, the factions or the jealousies and strife divide us, but rather follow Christ into this wildly unpredictable story of love and grace. And so the challenge for us is to live what we are, co-workers with God, one body of Christ, participating together in the grand plan of God for the reconciliation of the world to God and to one another through Christ. As such, the solid food of the gospel will nourish us and others. Here we go. Let's enjoy the journey. Amen.